think it means a couple minutes. Just a little bit more minutes, yeah. Oh, hey everyone, it's August 29th. August 29th. Or it's August 30th, depending on when you're at church. Either way, what happened to summer? I mean, in a couple days it's gonna be September and then it's gonna be fall. And then like four days after that, it's gonna start snowing. I mean, it's too much. It's too much for me right now, and as the young people are saying, I can't even. No. Well, the silver lining in saying goodbye to August is all the exciting stuff that September brings at church. Yeah, in just a couple of weeks, it's fall kickoff weekend. Now, fall kickoff is a huge deal around here. We don't mess around. I don't want to give too much away, but take our word for it. You need to get yourself to church on September 12th or 13th. Don't miss it, especially if you have FOMO. FOMO? Fear of missing out. Oh, I have that. It's terrible. If you get the FOMO, don't miss church. Get to church on September 12th and 13th and kick off the year in a big, fun way. Now, starting that same weekend, not only are we kicking off the ministry year, we're starting a brand new message series called Restart. So we're starting Restart starting that weekend. That's right. Anyway, Mike, check this out. How many starts could a restart start if a restart could start over? I'd say two. The answer is two. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, we're going to be talking about the crazy pace of life and how to reprioritize, re-strengthen, and refresh our lives and faith together. It's going to be great. Or, as the young people say, totes amaze. Speaking of young people, we have some of the coolest kids attending Kidodio and Elevate each weekend, wouldn't you agree? Yes. I wish I could match their level of coolness. They're totes awesome. Totes awesome. Totes awesome. Okay. Kidodio is Eagle Brook's ministry to kids' birth to kindergarten, and Elevate is for kids in first through fifth grade. Now this year, we're super pumped about a new video series we've created just for elementary-aged kids, and we've got tons of fun new stuff planned for Kidodio too. Check your kids in at any time before or during weekend services. Even if the kids say, Mom, Dad, I don't want to go to church, take them to Kidodio and Elevate, and they'll be all like, mind blown. We promise they'll want to go to church from then on. Now, that's only a glimpse of the greatness that is September at Eagle Brook Church. And now it's time to continue our Live Well message series with some teaching from Pastor Bob. Take a bite. Enjoy. Burn my tongue. <laughs> That's Mike and Mike, everybody. Uh, can't even believe they're on our staff. Honestly, <laughs> we get those two guys in a meeting sometimes and nothing gets done. We just laugh at them. Uh, they even look goofy sometimes, I think. But anyway... Hey, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. It's the season of the fair and you're here at church, so way to go. Uh, welcome to those of you also watching online, wherever you might be around the country and world, especially those of you who are students. Uh, if you're squared away in a dorm room somewhere, squirreled away, whatever you want to call that, we just want to welcome you especially. It's brutal to be a student, I think. Anyway, anyway, glad you're here. Uh, we're in a series called, some, some people like to be students. I apologize for that comment, but I didn't. Anyway, we're in a series called... <laughs> live well based on the Ten Commandments, and the commands were given to us not to restrict us or make us miserable, but that our lives would go well. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, Moses took them to the Israelites. I want you to see what he said. He said, keep God's commands, which I'm giving you today, so that, here's the reason why, so that it may go well with you and with your kids. And that you will live and enjoy a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all times. That these commands are given for our benefit, not to make us miserable. If you remember, the first four commands are all about our relationship with God. And that if we get our relationship with God straight, we can get our relationship with people straight. And then the next six commands are all about relating to people. And today's command is don't commit adultery. 
Kind of a light topic on a summer day. Don't, don't commit adultery. God says, look, if you want your life to go well, if you want your family and relationships and work and life to go well, don't commit adultery. Don't have an affair. Don't violate your marriage and cause collateral damage to yourself and everybody around you. And some of you might remember the story about the man who thought his wife was cheating on him, but he knew she would never fess up. So he thought of a plan to catch her red-handed. They lived on the 15th floor of a high-rise apartment building, and his plan was to leave work at the normal time in the morning, but instead of going to work, he'd hang out at a coffee shop and then return to the apartment uh, later that morning, mid-morning. So at 10 o'clock in the morning the next day, he left for the coffee shop, rolled the elevator back up to the 13th floor, snuck up the last two floors on the stairway. He put his key into the lock, burst into his apartment, and there he found his wife sitting at the kitchen table alone with a cup of coffee. Somewhat embarrassed, he began to accuse her anyway. But the more he accused, the more she denied. Suddenly, he noticed a man getting into a convertible down below in the parking lot, and he thought, this, this has to be the guy. He was so angry, he grabbed their refrigerator, wrestled it over to the window, and pushed it out towards this guy below, bullseye, right on this guy's head. Next scene, St. Peter's in heaven, and he's asking people how they died. First guy steps up, says, Pete, you're not going to believe this. I was getting into my convertible when suddenly a refrigerator drops out of the sky from nowhere and nails me on the head, kills me instantly. Peter says, wait over there. Second guy steps up. Pete says, how'd you die? Guy says, you're not going to believe this. But I was wrestling a refrigerator out my 15th floor window when I had a heart attack and I died on the spot. Peter said, wait over there. Third guy steps up. Pete says, how'd you die? He said, man, you're not going to believe this, but I was hiding in a refrigerator <laughs> when suddenly I was airborne out a 15-story building. Died on the spot. Now, I'm glad you all laughed. That's kind of a funny joke. But, you know, adultery is no laughing matter. And the, the offices of pastors and counselors, I'm telling you, are chock full of people suffering from the fallout of this sin. My guess, there's not a person here today at all six campuses, not a single person, my guess, who hasn't been hurt in some way by this sin. Either by a parent who's committed this sin, a spouse, a sibling, a friend or neighbor. And, you know, the effects are so scarring to people that sometimes I feel like shaking people and saying, don't even think of breaking this command because if you do, it will surely break you. I've never met one person who committed this sin say to me, Bob, I'm so glad I did that. It has made my life so much better. It's just the opposite. People say to me, I wish I'd have never done that. To my spouse, to my kids, my family, even myself, it's my biggest regret. I want to show you a true story in the Bible where this particular sin is on display. And I want us to see how Jesus deals with this sin of adultery. And the event took place on what's called the Temple Mount this is a modern-day picture of uh, Jerusalem and where the temple used to be built. It's long been destroyed. But this is a holy place. It's a modern-day picture. This is the Dome of the Rock, of course. This is a mosque. 
And this is the wailing wall where Jews to this day go and pray and, and really pour out their heart. But this is, you know, a lot of tension, by the way, these days between Muslims and Jews about this site. But historically, this was the epicenter, the epicenter of God's activity, the holiest place on the planet, still considered to be to this day, uh, place of the temple, uh, you know, dwelling. By the way, this is the stairs, the temple stairs, and uh, every day, every day, people would walk these stairs with sacrifices, and they would go through the gate here and into the temple area, and they would place their sacrifice on the altar to gain forgiveness of sins. This was really the stairs or the pathway of forgiveness. And so this is where this event takes place, and now we get into the text, John chapter 8. It says, early in the morning... Jesus came into this temple that we just saw, and crowds of people gathered to hear him teach. So the sun is barely up. It's very early in the morning, but Jesus arrives at the temple, and people just flock because they know he's there. They just flock to hear him teach. Next verse. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before this huge group and said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses and Leviticus commanded us to stone such a woman. Jesus, what do you say? Now understand, this is a setup to try to trap Jesus into a corner. They really didn't care about the woman. She was kind of a pawn in their scheme to pit Jesus against the law of Moses. The woman probably had a reputation, and these self-righteous men knew exactly where to find her. Again, it's very early in the morning, so they probably, you know, just burst into her run-down dwelling on the edge of town, dragged her out of bed, through the streets of Jerusalem, up these holy sacred stairs, through the gate of the temple, into this most sacred place where Jesus is teaching. And they made her stand right in the middle of the whole crowd. Now, if you can imagine her standing there in total shock, embarrassed, trying to cover herself up. The Pharisee says, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, as in thou shalt not commit adultery, Jesus. This, this isn't some minor infraction. This is one of the top ten, remember, Jesus. And the law commands us to stone her. What do you say? The religious leaders are there with their robes, their righteousness, and their rocks. The crowd is there. Everyone's looking at Jesus because it's not a rumor. She was caught in the very act, and here she is. By the way, where's the guy? No mention of the guy here. That's the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They're just using this woman. And this is the last place this woman wants to be. If she, if she wasn't aware of her sin and guilt before, she is fully aware now. She is fully ashamed, standing there half naked. Pharisees said, Jesus, the law says to stone her. What do you say about that? Can you feel the drama? I mean, you could hear a pin drop just like you could hear a pin drop right now in this room. Now, what happens next is just so filled with power and wisdom, I think, for how Jesus wants all of us to respond 
to people who are living a, a sinful lifestyle, Jesus is about to put on a clinic that I think sets an example for every Christ follower in every church, even today. The Pharisee says, we caught her. The law is clear. And remember where we are, Jesus, in the Holy of Holies. What do you say? They're holding rocks, ready to stone somebody. But I think who they really want to stone is Jesus. If Jesus doesn't agree to sentence her to death for adultery, he will sign his own death warrant for going against the law of Moses. Friends, somebody's going to die that morning. The woman, Jesus, or even both. So what do you say about this? Jesus, the Bible says, didn't say anything. Instead, he, he knelt down and he wrote something in the sand. Nobody knows what he wrote. But as I think about that scene, you know, kneeling is not an act of power. Kneeling is really an act of submission and tenderness. So often when I feel cornered by somebody or, or trapped, you know, I go into attack mode. I power up and I try to defend myself. But Jesus' first response is to kneel down and not say a word. I wonder what would happen in our lives if our first response to an attack or a threat was not to fight, but to pull back collect our thoughts and not say a word. When I was seven years old, the family who lived directly across from us were the Fries. And one day I was out to play, but nobody was around, so I wandered over to the Fries' front yard, and I noticed their newly planted, planted birch trees had this really cool bark that looked like you could peel it off, and, and you know, a, a little boy can't pass that up. So I parked myself under their tree for a good hour, and I peeled every bit of that bark off down to the core. I mean, it would certainly have killed those trees. Well, that night, Art Fry took a wild guess and called my dad to see if I was the guilty one. I'll never forget this. The next morning, my dad was waiting calmly at the breakfast table, and I climbed up next to him, and he said, uh, Bobby, did you have a good day yesterday? I said, I guess. I, he said, were you over at the Fry's at all? I said, not really. He said, you didn't peel the bark off Art Fry's birch trees, did you? And I thought, how did he know that? <laughs> you didn't peel the bark off, did you? I said, no. He said, are you sure? Because Art Fry called me last night, and I knew I was a dead man. Not only had I destroyed Art's trees, but I lied to my dad about it. But what I remember most and what made me love and respect my dad more than anything is that he didn't yell at me. He didn't bring the hammer down and shame me or even punish me. He knew that little boys sometimes peel the bark off of trees and sometimes even lie about it. Now, he yelled at other things that I did. But he didn't excuse my sin. He knew I was feeling enough shame already, so he didn't pile on. And he went and told Art that he'd replace the trees if they died, and it never came up again. And by the way, Art Fry was a research scientist at 3M, and so he used some 3M tape he was working on to wrap around those trees, and they actually lived. And then Art Fry went on to invent the world-famous 3M post-it notes 
So really, I think Art Fry owes me. <laughs> I do. Because every time I ruined something in his yard, it forced him to get creative and figure out how to fix it. The guy who invented post-it notes really has me to thank. <laughs> but he never has. Anyway. But as I think about this story, I see a little of Jesus in my dad. Because sins were committed. Punishment was demanded. But Jesus didn't go ballistic. Instead, he knelt down and he wrote something in the sand. And then, verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, Jesus, what's your statement? Jesus, what do you think about this sinful woman? Jesus, we want to have an answer now. Jesus, what is your statement? So he got up. And he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. If any one of you righteous ones are without sin, if any one of you who study the scriptures and spend all your time worshiping at the temple are without sin, go ahead, guys. How many times have each one of you had to climb these same stairs, walk through that same gate, and offer a sacrifice for your own sins? If any one of you are without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. They're not wrong about this woman's sin. They're just not honest about their own sin. And suddenly the darkness of their own soul is exposed and this whole scene is turned upside down. But I'm telling you, friends, here today, this is a message to us. This is a message to our church. I think Jesus is saying something like this to us. Yes, I see her sin. Yes, I know she's guilty. Yes, I know it's wrong and destructive. And it makes you so mad sometimes that you want to throw stones. But can any of you, with a clear conscience, throw even a tiny pebble because of your own sins? Verse 9, at this, at this they began to walk away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left alone with the woman. Why the older ones first? Because they knew better than anybody else how many times since they were little boys they had to walk those same stairs to offer sacrifices for their own sins. So one by one, you could hear the stones go thud in the sand as they opened their hands and let them drop. I want to raise a couple of questions for your thinking today. Is there anybody here, I wonder, holding a stone towards someone who you think is more sinful than you? Or whose sin really, really offends you? Or whose sin is so clearly outside the lines that you think you have a God-given responsibility to condemn that person? And is there any kind of sin that you think we as a church should pick up stones for? The Bible says, as offensive and destructive as her sin was, 
they all dropped the stones and walked away. But now Jesus is alone with this woman, and he knows all about who she is. He, he knows what she's done. I want you to see what he says. He says, woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? And it doesn't mean she's not guilty because she is. It doesn't mean she's not a sinner because she is. But has no one condemned you? It means that she still has hope. She's not going to be cast aside eternally. There's restoration available to her. And she responds to Jesus. She says, nobody condemns me. And Jesus says, then, neither do I. Now, for some of you here today, that's why God prompted you to come to church. Because you needed to hear that God does not condemn you. Doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus looks at your sin and mine and he says, I don't condemn you. I don't. You are not condemned. But finally, this command, he says to her, but go now and leave this life of sin. Leave it. You're free to go, but stop sinning. You're free to go, but stop doing the things that continue to break you. You're free to go, but stop committing adultery. Some of you maybe thought Jesus forgot the seventh command. He didn't forget it. He's never soft on sin because he knows what you and I know, that with every sin comes a penalty. Every time you and I sin, something dies just a little bit more. I've seen marriages die because of sin. Families die. Friendships die. Even careers suffer and die sometimes because of sin. Cultures, nations die just a little bit more. Every time somebody within it sins. Friends, every sin carries with it a penalty that causes something to die, which is why Jesus said, look, you're free to go, but leave your life of sin. As I sat with this story a couple of weeks, I want to I offer two applications that are so, so important for all of us, including me. Application number one is this, lead with love. No matter what the sin might be that you're offended by, lead with love. Jesus knew what this person's problem was. His approach to sin, though, was always to start with love. That's where he started. He didn't start with her sin. He started with love. He knelt down and protected her as a person who was deeply loved and valued by God. In fact, he risked his life to protect her. Eventually, he would die to cover the penalty of her sin. And you never have to question somebody's love for you when they're willing to die for you. I'm telling you, Jesus always started with love, but maybe that's not the approach that you grew up with. It certainly wasn't the approach I grew up with. Maybe you once attended a church and the approach was not to start with love. Or you knew a pastor, his approach was not to start with love. Or your dad or a coworker who's a Christian. But in this story, friends, Jesus shows all of us who are Christians and all of us as a church what our approach to sinners should be. And his approach and tone was not condemning. It was not angry. It was not what's wrong with these people because what's wrong with these people is what's wrong with me. And it's sin. The truth is I'm a sinner just like every other human being is.
What's wrong with those people is the same thing that's wrong with me. Sin takes on different forms. But sin is sin. And nobody, I think, nobody has a right to pick up a stone and throw it at somebody else because we're both sinners. And as the leader of this church, I've been struck by this like never before. I'm 58 years old, but the, the thing is God is still changing me. God is still trying to work on my own heart. And some of you know this. I have a natural bent toward truth. And that's good. Jesus said, if you live by the truth, the truth will set you what? Free. We all know this. I've always been a person to try to live my life by truth. I have led with truth. But here's what I'm learning. People generally can't hear the truth until they know they're loved. Isn't that true? People generally can't respond to truth, can't hear it, can't receive it, until they know that you care about them, that you love them. So every week, we have people who come to our church. All six campuses, every single week, people come through the doors of our church who are involved in certain sins. And many of them are relational sins and sexual sins. People are having affairs, they're committing adultery, they're engaged in homosexual behavior, they're living together outside of marriage, they're hooking up on college campuses, all of which leads to brokenness. But I want to be a pastor and I want to be a church that leads with love, that sets down the stones and says no matter what's going on in your life, you're going to be welcomed here. You're going to be shown love here. Because people can't respond to truth until they know they're loved. The second application is this, but then go ahead and reveal the truth. The truth really matters. Jesus led with love, but then he said, look, leave this life of sin because sin kills things. Sin will kill your self-respect. Sin will kill your reputation. Sin will kill your future. I've seen sin kill a relationship between a father and a son. I've seen sin kill a relationship between a husband and a wife, a mother and a child. I've seen sin fracture an entire family, destroy a church, a university, and even a country. Past couple of weeks, Ashley Madison, the website that invites people to cheat on their spouses, was hacked. 32 million people were on this website seeking to cheat on their spouse. I'm glad it was found out. I hope the company dissolves. But think of the wreckage in marriages. The reason it's secret is because everybody knows adultery is a killer. Think of the wreckage in families and children's lives that this website, really sinful hearts, have created. The reason adultery made the top ten is because of how damaging it is. You know, I thought this week, what if I committed this sin? 
How would that affect me and others? For starters, I would come under God's judgment because Hebrews 13 says, the marriage bed should be kept pure for God will judge the adulterer but all the sexually immoral. See, some people think that God winks at sexual sin, doesn't really care about it, there's no consequence. But friends, we need to know that God is going to judge all who commit adultery. I don't know how the judgment comes, but I don't want to be under God's judgment. And then all the sexually immoral. If I committed this sin, it would inflict a wound on my wife's soul, which she would never recover. I don't think I'd recover from it. It would shake my kids to the core. My 27-year-old son, David, has told me that he respects me more than anybody on the planet, that I'm his hero. And a big part of that is my faithfulness and commitment to my wife, Lori. Lori and I don't have a perfect marriage. We've had our moments. We've conflicted before, and we, we probably will again. But my marriage is the best thing I have in this world. I've been so blessed by that relationship. But if I committed this sin, the respect my son had for me would be gone. It would shatter my daughter's heart and cause her to wonder, you know, if my own dad can't stay sexually pure, can any man be trusted, including my own husband? Megan and I have a great relationship, and we joke a lot, but kind of jokingly, she said, Dad, if mom dies first, you can't remarry because nobody could ever take mom's place. And she said, there would be women who would want to marry you because they see you on stage and they think you're great, but we all know you're not that great. <laughs> so just jokingly back, I said, but Meg, wouldn't you want me to be happy? And in all seriousness, she says, you have the dog. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's like, all right. If I committed this sin, I would lose all respect for my colleagues. I would kill my reputation. I would lose my job. I would shake the faith of thousands of people, and I'd break God's heart. When I think of the collateral damage that sexual sin would inflict on my life, I do what 1 Corinthians 6.18 says. I run from it. I run from it. I don't get near it. And I just wonder today, is there anybody here who needed to hear that truth to leave your life of sin? Not because God's going to get you, but so that life will go well for you. Will you leave your life of sin, and, and here's, the, here's the deal, and trust that God has a better plan for your life if you do. I mean, some of us are misbehaving because we think that's the deal. That's going to make me happy. And God would say, look, that's a bad road. Would you trust me that I have a better plan and path for you? Every year on our Boundary Water canoe trip, um, we come through the Horse River. It's protected by the wind and the waves. And then we come out of the Horse River, and there's a two-mile paddle across Horse Lake, a big lake. And if it's a strong south wind, we will come around the point, and we will face five-foot waves that just crash over our bow and a wind that just beats on us, just kills us. So before we make the turn, we, we tie everything down, we catch our breath, we look at each other, we say, are we ready to do this? 
and we say, ready, set, go, and we just dig in with all that we have. And every stroke is a battle for an hour and a half. We just battle and battle. And you want to quit, but you can't quit. Because if you even miss one stroke, you lose all the ground that you just gained because the wind and the waves are just beating down on you. And finally, we make it to the portage, and we're just wiped out, exhausted. And as I think about that, I think that's what happens, honestly, to people who are involved in a pattern of sin. They'll make it probably, maybe, but man, every stroke is a battle because their sin just drags on them. It's like a 20-mile-hour wind that just beats on them and holds them back from moving forward. It's why I tell people all the time, look, don't get addicted to stuff. Because life is hard enough. You know, don't, don't have an affair. Good night. Because life is hard. Don't shack up with somebody. Life is hard. Don't do stuff like that to yourself because you're just going to get beaten. Every stroke, the wind and waves of sin are just going to hold you back. Get free of that. Sometimes we turn the corner and it's a north wind and we're just rejoicing because it's so freeing. And that north wind just pushes us across the lake and so we're eating snacks and we're having conversation. We're just having a great old time because the wind is at our backs. And Jesus would say, leave. Whatever sinful stuff is going on, leave. That life of sin so that the wind of God's favor is with you. At all six campuses, I want to pray a final prayer for all of you. And, but there's three kinds of people especially I want to pray for. And so if you would, just as we close, just stand real quick. We're going to close in prayer. And uh, this prayer is going to be for a lot of you. God's going to meet you right here. At all campuses, let's bow in prayer. Father, thanks so much that you led with love for me, undeserved. I've made a mess of my life in so many ways, but God, you loved me in mercy and grace. And then gently showed me the truth. What a Savior. Father, today there are some people standing here who have committed this sin of adultery or another kind of sexual sin. And God would say to you, I don't condemn you. You're not condemned. I love you. I value you. I don't push you aside. I, I see what's gone on in your life and I don't condemn you. But if you're here this morning and you've committed this sin, you need to confess it and just say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of that sin. Cleanse me from all wrong. Be free of it. Some of you standing here have been hurt deeply. Someone committed this sin against you and you have felt such betrayal and a hurt in your soul that is so deep it's right there. 
And my prayer and our prayer today would be that God would heal you of that. And so, Jesus, I pray that you will touch every single person here who carries this deep wound. God, bring your healing, your mercy, and freedom. And then there are some standing here today at all campuses who are dangerously close to the line. You are texting people you have no business texting. You are meeting somebody at the gym. You're having lunch with someone and your emotions are going places you have no business letting them go. And you are dangerously close to crossing a line that you'll regret for the rest of your life. Would you have the courage and the wisdom to run from that? God, I pray that you will give every person who is close to that line a new resolve to follow you and trust that you have a better way. God, all of us need you. All of us are sinners. We need your grace. All of us are people who need your truth. And I pray that we would be people who live by love and by truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer today, come on up. Thanks for coming out, everybody.